Good morning and welcome to School of Parenting here on River Radio. What have we got coming up for you today? Well, I will be sharing my chat with Justin Spanswick. He's the executive head at Clare's Court Schools in Maidenhead. And I had a chat with him about the exams. So um, how the procedures changed this year, what impact that's had on children and also our teachers. Then we're going to be looking at some local news stories as well and also having a chat about our guest that we've got next week, an education consultant, um, which is it's an issue that lots of parents uh, do worry about with their children. Um, So interesting show ahead for you. Let's take a look first at um, some of the things that have been happening locally in the news. Um, So, first of all, Greta Thunberg gives support to a University of Reading campaign. So, what's that all about? Well, it's it's called Show Your Stripes campaign and it aims to show the effects of climate change with striking visuals. So, Professor Ed Hawkins from the University of Reading um, created a Show Your Stripes initiative to display rising temperatures across the world with distinct colours. Now, if you actually go online and look at this, it's actually really, um, it is actually quite impressive. And Greta Thunberg tweeted her support for the campaign, showing the statistics from her home country of Sweden and adding a stark warning, it seems we're almost running out of colours. Um, And in a statement on the University of Reading website, creator, Professor Ed Hawkins said, I would urge anyone who cares for the future of our planet to check out the stripes for their region and share it with others. It's a powerful way to show what we humans have already done to the climate in our respective home countries. If we want to limit further changes and avoid the worst risk, we must act quickly to reduce carbon dioxide emissions. So there we go, a big thumbs up there from uh, Greta Thunberg Um, and uh, go along have a look at it it's actually really interesting Um, what else is happening locally well there's a new special school has opened its doors in Slough this week for children with autism complex communication and sensory needs amid growing demand Um, Upton Grange is the name for this new school. It's open for referrals for children aged between three and seven years old from the local authorities. Class sizes are small with just six to ten children in each. They all have a teacher, two teaching assistants. So as executive head teacher Kieran Walsh um, stated, there's a shortage of schools in the country, especially for people with autism. So it's really important for to us to have the school available. And as an ex-teacher, and um, I'm currently a one-to-one tutor, I could not agree more with him. Uh, he said that they offer different types of therapy in the school. Um, and the children have access to a forest school, which obviously is very beneficial, particularly for children with autism. Now, according to Beyond Autism, more than one in a hundred people in the UK have autism, and 
just under 145,000 school children are recorded as having autism. Abigail Davis, who's the head of education, says for a child with autism, entering a new environment can be a challenging experience. It can impact their behaviour and trigger dysregulation. So, I mean, it's great to hear that this school is opening. It's great to, to, to hear that there are more of these schools opening. I've mentioned others in the past on the show because particularly at that age, so this is for um, referrals for children between three and seven. And, you know, particularly for those children, if they're going straight into a mainstream school Perhaps with, you know, class teachers are not all experienced um, special educational needs um, teachers. So um, it's great to hear that, that that's opening up. So we wish them the very best Upton Grange from um, School of Parenting here at River Radio. Now, another story we will be chatting about later is not such a pleasant one. It's one of those stories that um, certainly as a parent, you you just want to scroll on by. Um, but it's one of those stories that we do have to address with our children. So recently there was a pupil um, who was, there was an attempted abduction. So, oh, yeah, not very nice, but it's one as parents, um, you know, we probably can't have too many of those stranger danger conversations with our children. So we'll be chatting a bit about that one a bit later on. And, and you've heard from when we chat on the show that, you know, you've got to have that balance wrapping our children in cotton wool, um, but also giving them the information that they need to stay safe. So before we go to my chat with um, Justin, let's have a song. I've got the fight song, Rachel Platten. Sending big waves into motion Like how a single word can make a heart open
like a small boat on the ocean, sending big waves into motion, like how a single word can make a heart open. I might only have one match, but I can make an explosion. This is my fight song. Take back my life. Oh, I love that song. Um, right, so I was lucky enough to have a chat with Justin Spanswick. And Justin Spanswick is the executive head for Claire's Court Schools in Maidenhead. And obviously, like all of the schools out there across the Thames Valley, you know, they've... they've across across the country um they've had to manage um what they've done with their exams this year because of the pandemic um and i had a chat to him about that but also about what it means um because obviously the process is still going on all the information has had to be handed in <clears throat> but all the pro- the process is going on um obviously results will come out in august there is a procedure in place. So so have a listen to um, really informative chat with Justin. What has the procedure been for this year's GCSE and A-level exams for those that don't have children directly involved? So essentially what's, what schools have had to do is what we call TAGs, so it's teacher-assessed grades. So rather than actually sitting the examination assessments that they would normally do, schools have been required to uh, gather evidence of uh, the pupils' individual work for each subject and to use that to make a judgment following some very set uh, criteria by each examination board on whereabouts they would be. So obviously on your GCSE grades from 1 to 9, whereabouts that would sit should they take the, the actual examination. So it's been a it's been a real sort of evidence gathering type of uh, system, which all the schools for GCSE and for A level have had to be involved with. Um, will there be any students, as a result of this process that's had to happen this year, that would then be negatively impacted by that? You know, will you get those students who perhaps might have done that last minute? revision or cramming or I don't know if that's a possibility for GCSE or A-levels but that might have done done that rather than perhaps focused as much on their coursework. It's a really difficult one to answer because I, I think with, with, the, with the system um, of GCSEs and A-levels without COVID you can, you can look at sometimes there's going to be negative impacts. If I give you an example of U11 we held um, a course called we had our a mock sort of October time and so we had a really good piece of evidence gathering data there and the examination boards differ. We, we have sort of five examination boards we work with for GCSE and A-level for different subjects and they require a certain amount of pieces of work. Let's say they, they might require five pieces of work that are done under controlled conditions at school, um, and whereby if they're using past papers or, or specific questions, it's going to allow the, the staff members who know the children really well to make a valued um, judgment 
on where they think they are. And um, although the children don't know their grades, we are able to give our grades in March, our sort of our end of term grades, not predictive grades, but just showing them where they are. And then after the Easter break, sort of say sort of March, um, April through to just um, to half term, so to, to June essentially, they've been involved, the pupils, in a number of different assessments from each subject that allows them to be able to just give the best account of themselves that they can, so that when we get a particular child, we're looking at all those bits of data that they've actually done, all that evidence they've done, and we can say, right, well, that, that boy's a six, that girl's a seven, or, or where, where, where they actually are. So although there, there's going to be an, an impact, because what we've had to do very carefully is manage, while GCSEs have got set dates and you know them quite early and, and the pupils can plan for them, what we've had to do in our timetabling is to make sure that if history, for example, are looking for six pieces of work and so it's in English, that they aren't all clashing with each other. It's quite a short window to get them all done. So you're looking at the mental health and, and the welfare of the children who are actually taking these assessments. We've had to just manage very carefully how they're sort of revising for them, how they're working for them, and the impact it can have. So, I mean, th there's going to be an element sometimes. Some pupils do do better in assessments, examinations, in, in those high-pressure situations. Some, many don't. I think the key is, and for parents, is to trust the teachers and in all the schools because they know the children well. And, and there's a very, very stringent set of criteria that the examination boards are asking schools. For example, with one of our subjects, we have to make sure that we assess those children, they're moderated, that the teachers need training in the moderation to make sure they understand the criteria of what they're looking at. So we have essentially about 100 students we are moderating in that work. And then we have to go back to our previous history as a school in those grades. What scores were we gaining in 2017, 2018, 2019? So that we, we can make sure the curve of our of progress and achievements is very much in line with that. So if, if for example, maths, we were, we were getting all fives in 2018, and all of a sudden we were getting all nines now, that wouldn't <laughs> quite be right. And, and that's, a, that that's for the schools where they can show their accountability and and what we're trying to be is as transparent as possible. So has there been a lot of extra work then put on the teachers because of this? Is it yes, a massive amount. They've had to, just speaking with some of the I mean, deputy heads and academic at the senior boys, senior girls sites, and speaking to many on other schools as well, it's just been a bit of a nightmare. Getting the tags done, getting the evidence there, had to be in by the 18th of June. And as soon as that went in, the examination boards come back to the school and say, thank you very much for that. We'd now like to see evidence of and they'll name certain pupils, and they'll name certain subjects, and that's what we have to send off for them. So physical pieces of work for, for subjects like art and media and music, they've had to digitalise everything that they've got. They've had to be on um, so art, the, the photographs taken of, of what they've done, so that actually the, the assessors um, at the exam boards can see that. But it's actually just, I think, also moving away from the curriculum they've been working on to, to have to provide this evidence it's them just managing their own workload which is huge for the teachers and also managing the impact it's having on the, the students and making sure they're getting the best out of them um, uh, that's really been key if the students had those exams earlier so that like their mock exams and then they were given an indication of how well they had done you said about march Theoretically, then, there, there shouldn't be any surprises when their grades come in, really. They should get what they expect. 
correct? That's uh, yes, it, um, it, and 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 the schools are being really transparent with them, and obviously they're not allowed to let them know their grades, not allowed to let them know no. the predicted grades, but, you know, but but they let them know almost what they've got in the bank, where they are at the moment, uh, and that's essentially so you can see that if you're you're six or you're seven, and then you can say right, well, you know, maybe if I if I work towards those evidence assessments really hard, I could maybe move that up a grade. If I don't, it might go down a grade. But they have an understanding, which they would do anyway, really going into an exam of where they are. They'd have been um, prepped and, and, and trained to make sure that they can get the best result. But it's, it's, it's different. It's going to be negative. I think in some respects, it could be positive for many others in other respects. And, and because of, if you look at the amount of appeals that have been going on over the last 10 years of GCSEs and A-levels, sometimes the examination boards, they have all that work to sort of cope with. I think as a school, we had far less appeals last year, for example, in our ways than we did um, the years before. Okay. So if a student does want to appeal their grade, what's what's the procedure for that? So they get their grades. So the GCSEs and A-levels come out, I think it's 10th and 12th of August. It, it, it's essentially a two-stage process. They would start by going to the school and making sure that the work that's been sent off it was, was, was the right work, making sure that it's been assessed essentially from the school's perspective. But then actually it becomes slightly more of a family situation and the family would write to the examination boards, the school would support if they wanted to appeal a grade and then that they would have to explain why they're appealing, why they think the grade's incorrect. And so it, it, it's a similar process process um to what you would normally have but slightly more i think slightly more emphasis is put actually on the family of why they want to appeal if they think the grade's lower than it should have been or what maybe they were expecting how does that work logistically if that's then the summer holidays for your teachers and they've had they've, they're the ones who've had to collect the evidence does that mean some of the teachers have to be available during the holiday time Staff will tend to be, the heads of departments will often want to be available and, and want to make sure that they're seeing their, their grades come in and what they're doing. But actually, as it's, as I mentioned, slightly more independent now, the appeal process, it will be a case of the parents making a decision. And, and as we're being as transparent as we can be without actually obviously saying what the children are getting, because you're not allowed to do that. So then I'd like to think that we wouldn't be having all those appeals. We wouldn't have that, that to contend with. And, and goodness, the teachers need a break. They need a holiday. They've um, they've been working so so hard, and, and it's important to have that sort of that. I suppose to, to an extent, the examinations officers in the schools they'll be doing the majority of that work and picking that up, and they'll be pushing those appeals and those ideals through, along with the head teachers. But no, we want the staff to be able to get those breaks. And I have to ask this question then. So, how have you managed to avoid? parental pressure i imagine you've had to put some boundaries in place have you or are your parents all really well behaved obviously our parents i suppose i think it's 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 a case of that transparency i think if the parents are trusting the school and they're trusting the systems that are in place that have looked after their children all the way through from year seven or sometimes reception through to year 11 they have an understanding of what the teachers are actually doing and what they're trying to achieve for their children. And we've we've held numerous sort of consultations with parents where they get to ask weekly ones, where they get to ask questions about subjects, about processes and procedures. And that's what the head teachers of each division have actually ran, have, have led that, where the, the parents can ask whatever they want. So we've had a, it's been a virtual open door policy whereby mm. they can ask those questions. So we shouldn't have any surprises. Okay. And parents can question and can ask, uh, uh, but again, Again, I know lots of schools have had um, one or two issues with it. We've, we've been pretty, pretty fortunate where we are at the moment in that I think people can see that we want to try and get the best 
grade that reflects the pupil's ability. And that's what it is, isn't it? It's about getting the, the best out of each individual pupil. It's about making sure that they can achieve that best grade. Absolutely. And obviously all the GCSE and A-level students are now, they're no longer in school. They've all finished. Was there, I mean, do you think there was just too much of all that assessment going on in such a short period of time? We've actually got our year 11s and 13s still in school, many of them, because of the fact they had such a such a rigorous program to go through we've been offering the weekly leadership courses doing play worker courses to get for careers and just to support them so we're still very much in touch with them with so many of them it's not been easy i think is the way to say it. i think they've had an awful lot to put up with they've had an awful lot of assessments to do but you can turn it on the other way and say well then they've been doing all their evidence-based um assessments in very controlled conditions is it the same as sitting in a hall and doing your gcse's it's different, but it's still very rigorous. What so many of the local schools in Windsor, Maiden, Ned and Bucks uh, have been doing is just to try and get that balance right so we're getting the best out of them without actually having as much of a kind of an impact upon their well-being. Although obviously some children have found it unbelievably difficult and have been stressing and assessments one day, assessment the next day. And I think when you and I were doing GCSEs, if you had a GCSE, you know, one a day for, for, for a couple of days in a row, it was, it was grueling. Some of these children have had to have you know, some of these assessments more than that, but we've tried to balance it in the timetable so it hasn't been hitting them all too much at the same time. Well, they certainly um, deserve a good break. And, and I think as as do your teachers, because I think they must be um, just exhausted. Well, all of you. <laughs> all of you it's, it's, it's been tough for everyone. And everyone, you know, and it's been tough for the children. It's been tough for everyone. So, so yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Justin, for talking to us here at River Radio on School of Parenting. I know that our listeners and parents will really appreciate that insight from your perspective. Thank well, you. Pleasure. Thanks ever so much. So that was my chat with Justin Spanswick from Clare's Court Schools in Maidenhead. And it was just really interesting to hear from his perspective how they've been managing it in the school. And, you know, as he pointed out, they've had a massive amount of work to do, um, the teachers. You know, after the children came back after those Easter holidays um, and they had to go through that whole um, gathering procedure, evidence gathering procedure, so that could be submitted just up to, um, you know, just the half term June time basically so a lot of things they had to think about and also had to consider this clash of subjects as well as he mentioned if there were a certain number of pieces of work that were needed in one subject and then were also needed in the other and how that was going to be scheduled. If you've been listening and you've got questions or you'd like to share some of your experiences please email in rachel at river.radio it's a topic we're going to be revisiting over the next month or so in the lead up to when the exam results come out. Interestingly, one of the things that uh, Justin had said was that last year, and obviously we had something similar happening last year, there obviously wasn't as much warning, um, but they had far less appeals about the grades. So I think that's interesting. He talks about how the system has had to be really very transparent so perhaps that has directly linked to these far less appeals Um, and I would 
would hope that might be the case coming up. Um, it looks like there's a lot of information that has been given to the students, um, the mocks that they had in November. Then they obviously had their end of term grades that they were given um, at about March time. Um, and then lots of conversations that have happened between the school, the heads of the departments and also the parents. So, you know, I've no doubt that this has been happening in all the schools um, across the country. Hopefully this kind of open communication, um, as he mentioned, the parents are very well behaved at Claire's Court schools. Um, I'm sure, um, as Justin said, at the end of the day, everybody just wants the best for the students. As a parent, you want to make sure that your child has got the best possible grade um, that they could possibly get. And obviously, that's what the teacher's um, concerns are as well. I know as an ex-teacher, now I never worked in the secondary system, but I worked in the primary schools, um, you know, and I, you'll have parents who will, will want to push you <laughs> on knowing some, you know, some information. Perhaps the situation has protected, should I use that word, protected our teachers a little bit. Um, everything's kind of been online, it's been done in groups, um, it's probably been, you know, organised through forums and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, otherwise, I think, gosh, it would be tricky, wouldn't it, as a teacher to having to be really careful to not give a predictive grade yet at the same time you've got to be having a conversation with your students about how they've done in their mocks how they how they did it with their end of term and obviously they've got a grade for that and then also you know are they possibly if they put a bit of extra work in they could go up a grade if they maybe didn't do so much they'd go down a grade but not having to do all of this without um without getting anywhere near the conversation about predictive grades because the teachers aren't allowed to so I for one and having been a teacher I do not envy these teachers at all and um, and I really hope they all get to have a great rest and a break over the summer period. I mean obviously as Justin um, mentioned in our chat there there is a procedure in place um, for appeals and for parents who are wanting to find out a bit more about that um, procedure I would recommend the Department for Education um, they have a media blog site that you can go on to just put that into Google and um, and actually it brings up all you know very current very trending questions and discussions are on there um so have a look through there and there's there's info you'll find information on there of the appeals process um but as justin mentioned you know your first port of call would obviously be with the school um and it sounds to me that with this whole transparent um system that they've had to have in place and this collecting of evidence 
um, that, that hopefully there won't be too many of those. And as we mentioned as well, it has been difficult for some students. You know, some students would have adapted well to this. We've had on previously Claire Cogan, who specialises in teens' mental health. And, um, you know, she talks to a lot of students who have struggled because it has been a lot of intense assessment in a short period of time. So... um, let us know, email in what your experiences have been um, with your children. Hopefully they're all enjoying a lovely break, um, a lovely break at the moment anyway, and they're not getting too stressed out about um, results that are coming out. So I'm sure um, ho- hopefully they've all done their very best. But thank you so much to Justin Spanswick from Clare's Court Schools in Maidenhead because I know it is a really busy time at the moment for schools. Um, schools are trying to do lots of end-of-term things. For example, Sports Day. And actually, the Department of Education has put out some information about Sports Day. Um, probably by this stage, you'll know, is your child's Sports Day going ahead? Um, perhaps it's going ahead, uh, but are you able to watch? Um I've had lots of feedback in from from parents out there. So some of you schools so so the what the Department of Education has said is that sports days can go ahead because they're outdoor events, so it can go ahead in line with existing restrictions such as maintaining class or year group bubbles and regular cleaning of sports equipments. Um, Will parents and families be able to attend sports day? Now that is up to your school to risk assess their sports day plans and decide if it's appropriate to invite spectators. Now I would suggest just from some of the feedback I've got from from listeners, um, it, it seems that schools have at this point made that decision. So um, spectators, they have to stick to the social distancing requirements and legal gathering limits. And obviously they have to follow the rules of the schools. So I know that some schools have decided particularly those schools that are in areas where there's been lots of surge testing going ahead, they've decided to say no to parents. Yeah, that is a little bit disappointing. Um, You know, I think some of us were hoping that was going to be the time that we could kind of get together just a little bit, see other parents, um, but in that, you know, in the environment of school. Um, But obviously they have to consider what's going on in the surrounding area, the local area. Some schools have said um, they've put a maximum number, so have just said um, either the one parent or just the two parents, i.e. not granny, granddad, auntie, Bob, uncle Jean. I've got that round the wrong way. Uncle Bob, Auntie Jean, they can't go along. So, you know, I think that's that's very sensible. So um, anyway, whatever whatever your school has decided, I, I guess the most important thing is that our children are having an opportunity to go, in he- go ahead and still have a bit of fun. So there's been still some fun things that are happening in the schools um, as they finish up in the last few weeks of this summer term. 
When we come back, we're going to take a song break now. We're going to be chatting um, about this news story. Not a particularly pleasant one about attempted abduction, but something that we need to think about as parents, something that we need to chat to our children about. So we'll be talking about that. And also um, I'll be letting you know about the guests that I have coming on next week. An educational consultant. What exactly do they do? How can they help us as parents? So we'll be hearing about that. But first of all, let's have a song. James Arthur, Say You Won't Let Go. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. No, i still got a lot of fire I'll meet you in the dark. You let me up. You made me feel as though I was enough We danced the night away We drank too much I held your hair back when you were throwing up Then you smiled over your shoulder For a minute I was stone cold sober I pulled you closer to my chest And you asked me to stay over I said I already told you I think that you should get some rest I knew I loved you then But you'd never know Cause I played it cool And I was scared of letting go I knew I needed you But I never show But I wanna stay with you First in bed, I'll bring you coffee with a kiss on your head. And I'll take the kids to school, wave them goodbye. And I'll thank my lucky stars for that night. When you looked over your shoulder, for a minute I'll forget that I'm older. I wanna dance with you right now. And you look as beautiful as ever And I swear that every day you'll get better You make me feel this way somehow I'm so in love with you And I hope you know Darling, your love is more than worth its weight in gold We've come so far, my dear
to School of Parenting with myself, Rachel. And um, we've had a chat this morning with Justin Spanswick from Claire's Court Schools. Thank you again to Justin for giving up his time. It's a really busy time of year for the schools. They're organising their sports days. They've got to still be on top of all the COVID stuff um, because our our, uh, secondary school children are still meant to be doing those lateral flow tests. Um, are your children still doing those? Um, yeah, we've, it's something we're trying to stay on top on uh, top of in our house. So even though there's no masks um, anymore at school, it's something that we are still trying to stay on top of, making sure that those tests are being done. Um, I did hear from a school uh, who was saying they've actually, even though uh, masks had are no longer um, have to be enforced, the mask wearing in secondary schools, that they are still actually doing that across the uh, common areas of the school. So I guess that's another example of where it's just down to the individual schools to do their own risk assessment and decide what's best for their for their students because obviously there have been some cases where year groups have had to go out and isolate so um anyway hopefully that's not been the case not been the case in your children's school so i mentioned that um next week we have coming into the studio an education educational uh consultant um, so what do education consultants do? Well, we, we will be talking next week to Kate King, and she is from Skylark Consulting. Um, please email in if you have had any experiences of working with um, an education consultant or perhaps doing this through your children's school. Um, it's actually something that a lot... It, it's, it's not just something that um, parents who have children with more severe difficulties... Um, these are some of the reasons that parents might go and have a... Um, it might be like an exploratory uh, conversation with a consultant. So... I have concerns about my child, but the school tells me they are doing fine. Okay, so we might have all been in that situation. Um, I don't think I'm the only parent out there who possibly at one stage got onto Google and started (laughs) searching up some particular behaviours. So, next thing, school has noticed that there is a difference between written work or other work and what my child says or what I see. So, sometimes the tables can be turned. Um, We might think that our children are getting on okay, but schools obviously with their expertise and their experience possibly noticing some flags going up so some warning signs and again I know from my experience in schools oh this is a really really tricky one um, because you you know you have to be so careful it is literally I mean I I know I'm doing lots of shout outs for teachers (laughs) and schools today but it is really um a little bit like walking on eggshells. 
um, because there might be some signs that you possibly recognise as a teacher. There might be some things that you spot that actually are purely down to the age or the stage of that child's development so they kind of sort themselves out so it's a really tricky one so it can come from um, either direction Um, the parent with a concern or the school has a concern Um, I think my child needs support but I don't know what I should do for first or who to go to now again Everybody's experiences are different. I've heard many stories um, where a school has been extremely supportive and then other stories where um, where it has been difficult to get support. Um, then my child has had an assessment or a diagnosis, so perhaps you are in uh, that group, but I don't really understand what it means or how it will affect them and their learning. So for... Um, lots of parents out there um, they might have had this assessment or diagnosis through the school system Um, there's also parents out there who have had these assessments or diagnoses diagnoses is is that what the plural I don't know what the plural is for that Um, I should do shouldn't I there we go I'll look that up when I get home Um, but what that actually means they might have had that done privately and then need to know what that means in terms of in the classroom so it's all very well having this written report um, that you you have possibly paid money for but or as I say even through the school system but then what does that mean through the through in the actual classroom you need to understand as a parent if there is a certain amount of extra time or extra support that's being given to your child you've got to be really clear on that and understand what what you're talking about what that report means Um, I am worried about my child moving up to the next key stage. So key stages, we have key stage one is, um, uh, is year one, year two. And then they go into key stage two, which is year three, year four, year five, year six. And then when they move into secondary, it's key stage three. So you might be worried about your child moving up to the next key stage or if they're transitioning to a new school as well. Now, there are certain milestones, if you like, that do need to be, um, not need to be, are expected, if you like, at the end of particular key stages. And obviously, depending what system and what schools you're in, there be, um, you know, there might be assessments that are done at the end of each year. Um, there's assessments done throughout the year. Assessments done at the end of um, key stages as well. So, um, if you're worried about a particular area as well, some children might have difficulty with their maths and their numbers, whereas other children might have difficulty more with their English and their writing development. And then last last one that I have here, I have one child with difficulties and I can see some similarities and difficulties in my other child. So should I be concerned? So these are some of the questions that parents um, have had or they've raised and might um, prompt them to go along and have a chat with um, a consultant and what educational consultants do, their role is to obviously to understand your child, but in, to empower you as the parent and then also to be working with the schools as well. I mean, there's a lot of things that can affect a child's learning, um, their relationships, just their engagement with school. 
as a parent, you will know your child better than anyone and you know when something isn't right as well. So, um, you know, a consultant is someone that you can have um, a chat with and they can actually help with practical strategies and guidance um, where, you know, Possibly, possibly that's not available through um, through your school system. So we're going to be chatting um, to Kate King from Skylark Consulting next week. Please do um, email in your questions. So um, if you've got questions, if you've got concerns, um, email in to rachel at river.radio with your questions for Kate and we will try and address those and answer any questions that you might have. Right, so I mentioned earlier um, one of the stories that caught my eye as I was going through the local news is one of those stories um, as parents... Quite, quite honestly, I don't even want to, you know, you don't, you don't want to read it. Uh, you have to read it. Um, fortunately, um, the, the girl who was involved in the attempted abduction um, is safe. Um, the abduction did fail. Um, but it's, it's a reminder to us, isn't it? of this stranger danger. So it was a school in Slough, um, um, an all-girls school in Slough, uh, was a victim of an attempted abduction and the head teacher has issued a warning to the parents. And I've no doubt that this same warning is probably generally things like this um, then get circulated amongst all of the schools. So it's a school for girls aged 11 to 18. Um, and the letter which came from the principal just detailed that the pupil was approached by two Eastern European men in a white van. The pupil refused to get into the van and attempt and an attempt was made to grab the pupil. They failed and the pupil is safe. The incident has been reported to the police. But the school sent out a list of important stranger danger rules for pupils to follow. And so the list reads, never go anywhere with a stranger, never accept gifts or sweets from a stranger, never get in a car with a stranger, never go off on your own without telling your parents or a trusted adult. Tell your child it's okay to break the rules if they are in danger. Now, I I really um, like this one. I don't like having the conversation, obviously, but I do like this rule. Um, I think it is a little bit different these days because I know certainly when I grew up, um, it was very much you listen to all adults um, and and times have definitely changed. We, I think we, we definitely have a generation or generations of children who are actually a lot more assertive and they won't they won't necessarily um, accept what an adult says if it doesn't sit right with them. Um, I mean, from the, from even from being a primary school teacher, you know, you'd get those children who are, you know, I, I would always think to myself, well, there's a fine line, you know, between being assertive and being arrogant. But I can tell you, in a situation like this, um, you want to make sure that your child understands it's absolutely okay to break the rules if they're in danger. 
danger. So basically yelling, kicking, screaming, lying, um, anything, you know, shouting at the top of the voice, um, anything. Um, let them know. Let them know that they have permission to do that if they feel any way um, in danger. Give your child a code word or a sign that only you and your child and perhaps another parent knows. They can use it when they feel they're in danger but do not want other people to know. Uh, I guess there's a few situations actually that, that, that pop to my pop into my head there. Um, but yeah, so that's not something actually I've done, but actually I think, yeah, that's, that's probably something I will chat to my, my children about, perhaps if they're in a bigger situation or a group situation and are feeling um, threatened. Tell your child to stay with their friends and not to go off on their own, for example, um, to the park. So let's have a look. We have actually had, we've had an email in from Sarah. Uh, who has a daughter now obviously th this you know these rules aren't just relevant to our daughters um, you know they are relevant to our sons as well we do want um, my son is just just a teenager and has started you know going out independently and um, you know going with a with a friend or a couple of friends to um, to the shop or to the park so we have had these conversations um, so you definitely, you know, it's not just your daughters, um, it is your sons as well, but, but Sarah has emailed in, she says that she makes sure with her daughter walking to and from school, they are always with a friend. Um, if for whatever reason the friend is not there, perhaps the friend's off sick or something like that if the friend's not there they will then try and make another arrangement if that's not actually picking up her daughter um you know i mean let's face it we're possibly not all in a position where we can be um ferrying our children to and from school and really at the ages of 11 to 18 i mean we've had these conversations on school of parenting before it's a real balance between you know wrapping your child in cotton wool and um uh, wanting to protect them but also recognizing that they need that independence they have to at some point be independent so we want to give them that independence in little steps um so yeah she so she said if that's not possible then obviously making sure that there's there's some phone communication so um whether that's when they've left school and that they're on their way home or i think in this instance the um the girl was actually walking to school so perhaps when they've arrived at school and I mean I am going to generalize here and say I think pretty much uh, once children are at secondary school they all have phones don't they um, we were chatting actually a little while ago about you can put those things on that those apps on their phones so you can see where they are um, and uh yeah not that you want to be tracking their every movement but you can have an idea but but yeah i'd say that's probably a good idea because if 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 basically your child has got a phone and um yeah you know and they just give you a call then uh then that yeah that's a great idea so i'm i'm actually going to ask sam this question um as well as a parent of um of daughters now obviously they are a little bit b 
bit older, Sam, but this the, the girl, the um, attempted abduction that was made at a school in Slough. Yeah. And we did have somebody email in saying that they, they just make sure that their daughter is always walking to or from school with a friend because, you know, as we've spoken about before, we, we, you know, we, we can't wrap them in cotton wool and ferry them absolutely everywhere. Fortunately, um, the attempt was it failed and the pupil is safe but it's one of those stories I don't like reading about it but I know it's a conversation it would just prompt me to have another conversation with my children I mean what do you do in this situation well we've we always want our children of stranger danger um it's one of those stories that comes out which then puts fear of god into you as a parent absolutely um the things you can do is give them common sense to understand I mean when my girls were younger I used to say, if you're walking up to the common or you're going to the park, if you see something troublesome, we know so many people in our village, just find a house that you know, run to it and just knock on the door. Um, The other one is I teach self-defence for women and young girls. And the first thing I say is get your camera out, take a photo. Yeah. Whatever else happens after that, whether you're abducted or you're taken or something happens there's photographic evidence of who it was. They will normally 99.9% of the time run because they just don't want to be seen on camera. Um, And you can't really do much else. Uh, You know, both my girls are black belts in Taekwondo, so they will fight back. Yeah. But the scenario is the worst scenario for any parent. But generally, and this is a thing to alleviate some of the fear in parents, 99% of the time, again, the abductor or the attacker will be known to the child or to the parents. It's never really stranger danger. Okay. So in this situation though, now and now I was very conscious when when um, chatting to my children before on this topic, it says the pupil was approached by two Eastern European men in a white van. Now I kind of when I was talking to my children, I did sort of want to lighten it a bit. And I kind of made a bit of a joke that basically if they see a white van just you know walk very fast i felt slightly that i was discriminating i was gonna think every plumber builder (laughs) about people out there with a white van but i mean one of the tips that that i think is probably the best one that the school because they obviously sent out information to all the parents and and that information has probably been circulated as well because these things do tend to get circulated around the schools um, but this whole tell your child it's okay to break the rules if they're in danger. They can yell, kick, scream. I mean, mm-hmm. I've said to my children, say, for example, and I mean, this has happened to me. You get the delivery driver comes along uh, in the lane where I live. Not all the houses are numbered. They all have these lovely names, some of them. And the delivery drivers can't find them. So a van will slow down. They will call out to you, whatever. Now, I've said to my kids, it doesn't matter. You, you just don't. And, and actually, if the person is a decent person and if they've got good intentions, they will fully understand if you completely... If someone did pull up and they were looking for something, they would compl- totally understand if you were basically outright rude and, you know, yeah. walked the other way. I think, I think it's, uh, again, having a wife, having two girls, I think it's, it's horrible that, you know, I enter a world of knowledge mm. um, where women have, you know, just... Not just young girls, but women are are concerned about walking their dogs on their own because of dog napping. They're concerned about walking late at night. I mean, I I was in uh, Clapham 
several months ago, walking at one in the morning on my own, no concern for myself, discovered people across the road. But I just didn't think about any mm. danger. Had that been my wife, you know, completely the reverse psychology. Mm. Mm, absolutely. Well, I think the self-defence is a great idea, actually. Is that something that's... That's not done in schools, is it? Or offered in schools? No. And, you know, girls I, are encouraged? Well, my daughters were at Claire's Court and I spoke to the headmaster on several occasions to say, look, I will happily do it for free. And it's not... This isn't like teaching you martial arts, OK? Self-defence for girls versus martial arts is a very different subject. So if I was saying to you, take along your daughter or son to a taekwondo class, right, and they're going to spend five years getting their black belt... That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about probably 10 lessons mate, at the most. Okay. Where, you know, just the basics of learning about distance control. So someone coming into your personal space, what you should do. Yeah. Again, as I said, taking out your camera, making noise is a great one. Um, the other things that you can then do when you are grabbed, you know, there are releases. Because it's not about strength. If it was all about strength, then... Um, you know, you, you would be going, well, it's, it's a waste of time. Men will always generally outwin against women. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think maybe that's something we can we can look into a bit more um, In you know, just find out a bit more about these, you know, just so we can, well, I will certainly, just to basically equip our children with what they need. So anyway, we're at the end of our show. Uh, you've got the lovely SJ Let's Do Lunch coming up. And then after that, you've got uh, Andrea McLeod with On The Job. And uh, Where yeah. did she go this week? Where did she go? I might be back. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> um, so thank you for listening. I'm going to finish with Shallow, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, one of my favourite songs and films. Tell me something, girl Are you happy in this modern world? Or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? I'm falling In all the good times I find myself longing change And in the bad times I fear myself Tell me something boy Aren't you tired trying to fill that void Or do Oh